Welcome to Peace by Believing. My name is John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking together about frustration. Now, that's something we can all relate to because all of us get frustrated at times. Maybe today you're frustrated. Maybe you're frustrated with yourself. Maybe you're frustrated with your family members. Maybe you're frustrated with your work or some other problem that you're going through at this time in your life. And so we all get frustrated in life and we just need to know how to handle it. What do we do when we get frustrated? Well, if you have your Bible today, if you would open it to the book of Romans, chapter number 7, this will be our scripture passage today. And in Romans 7, we read about a time in the Apostle Paul's life when he became very frustrated. In fact, he became frustrated with himself and with certain sins that he was committing in his life. And so today we're going to be thinking about how to handle frustration God's way, and I'm praying this message will be a real blessing to you. Frustration is something that all of us deal with in life. Now, as I've thought about frustration, you know, really frustration comes from one of three different sources. Sometimes we get frustrated with ourselves. In other words, we expect ourselves to do better than we have done. And when we sin or do something wrong, we get frustrated. In fact, if you look in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, this is what the Apostle Paul was going through. He said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do or what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And so if we could only use one word to describe Paul at this season of his life, he was frustrated. Here's a man who's been saved. Christ has changed his life. And as he's trying to live a life that would be pleasing to God and not commit certain sins and other things he wanted to do that were right, Paul says, you know, I'm finding something very strange in my own life. The things I want to do, I'm not doing those things. And the things I don't want to do or the things I said I would never do again, those are the same sins that I keep struggling with over and over and over. And so Paul was frustrated with himself. And I imagine every one of us here today can identify with that. We could say there have been times in our lives and there are times in our lives when we do things that we don't want to do. If you're ever guilty of that, would you just say amen? Because it's all of us. We're all guilty. And we get frustrated with ourselves. Sometimes we get frustrated with other people. Maybe a person is being selfish. Here's a person who is rude to us. Here's a person who is demanding of us. And we're trying to get along with them. We're trying to be in good relationship with them. And it's difficult. And now we're frustrated with them because they're acting in ways that, that they shouldn't be acting. And we can't control their behavior. And, and really, this is at the root cause of much of our frustration. It is things that we can't control, things that, that we can't fix. And so when you can't control another person's behavior, you can't cause them to act in a certain way. And so sometimes, especially if it's somebody you work with or you live with and every, you know, and, and, and you're having these problems where they're not maybe doing just right and it can be very, very frustrating. Sometimes we get frustrated 
not necessarily just with ourselves or people, but we get frustrated with circumstances. We're in the middle of a situation, and the situation itself is so very frustrating. I had this happen to me this morning. A few weeks ago, I'd called a friend of mine who does a lot of handy work whenever I needed around the house, and he's just a great guy. He's honest as he could be, and I needed him to come out there and power wash my driveway and to do another little very small project. And so he got there this morning, he and his crew, and they, they power washed my driveway, and they got it all looking good, and I thought, well, this... They're going to be in and out pretty quick this morning. I got there real early, and I thought, they're going to get, be gone, and I can get back doing what I need to do. Well, about 30 minutes later, I looked out in the, through my window into the front yard. I live on, the, on a cul-de-sac street, and I'm the house right on the middle, right in the middle of it. And I looked out, and the guy is power washing my neighbor's mailbox. He's power washing the... But I thought he was going to power wash the whole street. And I thought, who's paying for this? I mean, all I wanted was a small driveway, but uh, I'm looking at that. And then I go out there not to, I mean, I didn't really care about that, but I did uh, ask him. I said, man, you got everything looking so good out here. And he was painting all my gutters. I hadn't even asked him to do that. And he's painting all the gutters. He said, John, your gutters need to be touched up. I said, well, whatever you think. And uh, so he's touching them up. And of course, my bill's just going up and up and up and up. and repaint my house and all the streets being cleaned up. And right when he's getting finished, he's bringing my bill to me. And his crew is still out there painting. They were, at this time, they were painting the mailbox. And the rain starts coming down so hard. And I said to my man, I said, you know, it looks like it's uh, starting to rain out there. I said, how long does it take this paint to dry? He said, oh, no, very dries very quickly. Dries very quickly. I thought, it's raining on it. The, the, the paint... <laughs> is sliding onto the shingles on my mailbox. But uh, I was looking at that, I thought, it's very frustrating, but I didn't care. I even gave him a $25 tip, ladies and gentlemen. How's that? Because he's such a good guy. But I'm saying sometimes in a situation like that, you can think, man, this is so frustrating. If it just wouldn't have rained for 30 more minutes, everything would have dried and it wouldn't have been a problem. Now, we know that when we get frustrated, with, whether it's with ourselves or with another person, or maybe we get frustrated in a situation that we, just, we can't control the weather, certainly not. But when we get frustrated, it causes us to become uptight and it causes us to become touchy. And if we don't handle it right, it can cause us to just lose our joy and lose our happiness. And so I spent most of my day yesterday thinking about what do we do? What is the cure for frustration? Because we all feel it. Probably today, some of you are frustrated with somebody maybe at your table, or you're frustrated with the weather, or you're frustrated with something. And so what is the cure for frustration? And the cure for it, I'm absolutely convinced of this, is wrapped up in one word. Whatever the source of your frustration, whatever's causing you to feel frustrated and uptight, ah, feel you're going to pull your hair out. Whatever's causing you to feel that way, the cure is in one word, and the word is acceptance. Say that with me. Acceptance. That's the word. Now, I want to illustrate this with all three of these different categories of things that cause us frustration and show you how if you will practice the acceptance principle, you will find that your frustration levels become less and less and less. And so let's just first of all think about when we get frustrated with ourselves. And so you have done something, you've been rude to your spouse or you have have been rude at work or you've used a bad word or you've committed some sin and you've done something and, and you feel bad and you're like Paul and you said, man, I said 
I would never lose my temper again, and now I've lost my temper, and, and I feel so bad, and I'm frustrated myself. You say, John, how does acceptance apply to that? Well, I think on two levels. First of all, we have to accept the fact that none of us is perfect. We, I mean, I have to accept, because like me in my heart, I want to be perfect. I want to do everything perfectly. And yet, I realize I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect living life. I'm not perfect when I preach sermons. I'm not, I'm not ever perfect. I don't do anything perfectly. But if you're a perfectionist, that can really be a problem. And so, I think we have to accept the fact that no matter how much we love God or how well we want to do at a particular task or assignment, when it's all over with, if this is perfection we are going to have fallen somewhere short of that. And so that's not an excuse. It's certainly not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to be lazy and not do your best. But I remember what Vince Lombardi, the great Packer for the Green, coach for the Green Bay Packers, said one time. He said to his team, he said, Men, we're going to strive for perfection, and we're going to find excellence. In other words, we're not going to find perfection, but we're going to find a higher level of living than we would have found had we not even striven for it. So we want to to strive for perfection, say, I want to be perfect in my relationships. I want to be perfect at my job. For me, I want to preach sermons that that just are good and clean and good illustrations. I want to do perfectly on that. And yet I have to realize when it's all said and done, nothing that I do is going to be perfect. So I accept the fact that while I strive for perfection... I never can reach it, and I'm never going to do anything perfectly until I get to heaven and I am perfect in every way. So first of all, we accept, we accept our own limitations. Turn to the person next to you and just say, I just want you to know I'm not perfect. Now tell them that right now. And now turn back to them and say, I didn't even need you to tell me that. I already figured that out. Because we know that we're not perfect. We don't do any. But I think if you, ex, if you can accept. Dad and I have talked about this many times on sermons. Because he preaches two a week. I preach two a week. And if you have other services, you have more than two a week. But two a week. And he has said to me through the years. Because he, especially because he knows I'm a perfectionist. He said, John, you do the best you can under the circumstances. I remember when I was in seminary. And uh, I had a classmate. He had a wife, and they had several kids, and he had a job. And as we were going through seminary, my grades were better than his grades because I was single. I didn't have all those responsibilities. I preached a lot on the weekends and at churches, but I didn't have the responsibilities that he had. And my grades would be a little bit better than his, and I never mentioned that to him, but he, mentioned, he said something to me one day. He said, you know, John, I've had to learn something. And when he said this, it reminded me of what I'd heard my dad say. He said, I've had to learn that I have to do the best I can under the circumstances. And I have responsibilities in my life more than just studying for a test or just writing a paper. And so if I didn't have all these responsibilities, I could make a little bit better grade. But I do have these responsibilities. And what he was saying to me was, really, these responsibilities are more important than the class. And so what I'm saying is you do the best you can and you accept that you're not going to be perfect. Now, if, if we had a second thing to add to accepting something that will help us when it comes to our own sins and failures, mistakes and everything else, we have to accept God's forgiveness. Have to accept God's forgiveness. because, And I think Paul, in fact, if you look at, look at the verse again, 
Verse 15 of chapter 7. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do that I do not practice. But what I hate that I do. And it's just like Paul wants to just throw up his hands and say, I'm so frustrated with my own sin, my own behavior, my own shortcomings. I'm so frustrated. And yet Paul didn't give up on that. He didn't stay there. Look in chapter 8 in verse number 1. Because now Paul is still talking about things he's done wrong. But in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he, he comes to realize, even though he has sinned and failed to measure up to God's perfectly holy standard, that through Christ there is forgiveness for those sins, there's cleansing from those sins, and he says, hey, because of that blood of Jesus, I'm not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he kind of, like you get to Romans chapter 8, and it's like the Apostle Paul is a whole different person. He's looking at his sin and his failure from a different perspective, and he's saying, as bad as I act sometime in his Whatever I do wrong, I know that Jesus has forgiven me. And because of that forgiveness, there's absolutely no condemnation. R.T. Kendall was at our church back in January, former pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England. And he's written extensively on the subject of forgiveness. And he has written one book entitled Forgiving Ourselves. And I've always been intrigued by the title of that book because I've just, quite honestly, I've always thought, that whole thing about forgiving ourselves is not even a biblical concept. There's not even anything in the Bible that I can find that says we should forgive ourselves. In other words, if I'm rude to you after this lunch today, and then I start feeling bad about it around 3 o'clock, if I go to my office and say, okay, John, you were rude to that person today, but right now I choose to forgive myself. Well, on what authority do I forgive myself? I mean, how... What, what do I have inherently in me that makes it, that, that enables me to forgive myself? Well, he was here back in January and he preached on this subject. And I remember when I, as I listened to the sermon, I thought, well, he's, he's preaching this, obviously, he's, uh, from a very biblical perspective. But the other night I went home from work and I took that book off my shelf and I said, I'm going to just read this book, uh, forgive it, how, you know, how to totally forgive ourselves. And on page six, of the book, and I had brought it too, and I forgot it. See, I'm frustrated. I forgot everything today. Bring it out here. But on page six of the book, he says, I want to define what I mean by forgiving ourselves. And I thought, I want to, and I was, I had my pen. I, I want to get this. And he said, by the phrase forgiving ourselves, here's what I mean. I mean that we accept God's forgiveness so completely that we let ourselves off the hook. In other words, to forgive ourselves, you can't, you can't just go to your house today and say, okay, on the count of three, I choose to forgive myself and I'm absolving my own sin. You don't have the power to absolve your own sin. Only Jesus has the power to make sins go away. And so by forgiving ourselves, what does this mean? It means that when we fail, we ask Jesus to forgive us for whatever we've done wrong and we so completely accept His forgiveness of our sins 
that we no longer beat ourselves up over it. So whatever sin you have committed, whether it was way in the past or whether it was this morning, once you confess that sin to God and once the blood of Jesus forgives you of that sin, that sin is removed, that sin is gone. And so to use Dr. Kendall's terminology, to forgive yourself is to let yourself off the hook. Quit feeling guilty. Quit beating yourself up over something that God has forgiven you, and He's right. It is to accept God's forgiveness so fully that we say, you know what? If God is pleased with the blood of Jesus over my sin or over my sins, if God accepts the blood, if God looks at me and says that I'm clean, who am I to call unclean if God has called me clean? Who am I to condemn myself if Jesus has said you're clean? Because really to do that, to do that is to say, well, the blood of Jesus is not really sufficient for my sin. So we keep beating ourselves up and we keep feeling frustrated. And so Dr. Kendall is right. We have to accept God's forgiveness. You still with me? Say amen. So this is so important. How do we get over being frustrated with ourselves? Accept our own imperfections and limitations. Accept God's forgiveness and move on. Now, how do we accept... Our, when we get frustrated with a family member or a friend or a co-worker and they're being rude or whatever, they're talking behind our back, they're trying to hurt our reputation, how, how do we keep from letting that frustrate us? Because in our humanity, we want to strike back, we want to retaliate, we want to defend ourselves, we want to set the record straight, we want to put this person in their place. Well, how do we keep from doing that? Here's what you do. You go back to this word acceptance. And you have to accept their imperfections. Just like you have to accept your own imperfections. In other words, just like I have to accept the fact that I'm not perfect. If I'm in relationship with you, I have to accept the fact that you're not perfect. I just have to accept that. And I also have to allow you to be you. I was in a doctor's office the other day. And a doctor has become a good friend of mine. And at the end of the visit, I shared this last Wednesday night in our service. I said to the doctor, I said, you know what I like about you? I like two things about you. I said, number one, I like it that you're smart. Because I prefer smart doctors to doctors that aren't quite as smart. And this guy's smart. I never want to be in a room with a doctor where I think I'm smarter than the doctor. I want to feel like the doctor's much smarter than me, which is normally always the case. But certainly with this man, I said, I like you because you're smart. And I said, number two thing I like about you is uh, you are good with patience. You're a good communicator. You're a good presenter. You never make me feel stupid when I ask you questions. And he, he was in there with two nurses, and he said, John, I really appreciate your saying that. He said, do you know the problem that most doctors have? I thought, no, man, it's going to be good. I'm going to get a little inside here on what they're having in the doctor. And he said to his nurses, he said, ladies, if y'all go ahead and step out, I'm going to talk to John just for a minute, too. I thought, man, this is going to be good. I'm going to get the down low on the medical community. He said, do you know the problem most doctors have? I said, no, I, I don't know. I don't know the problem. He said, most doctors, or maybe he said a lot of doctors, the problem they have is they have the I'm always right complex. He said, you see, a doctor, when you go to see a doctor, when a patient goes to see a doctor, the doctor knows that the patient know that, that he or she knows more about the problem than the patient does. In other words, if you go see an eye doctor, obviously your eye doctor knows more about eyes than you do. It's all the man studied for his whole life is eyes. So he knows more than you do, and he knows he knows more than you do. If you go see a dermatologist or any kind of cardiologist, they know more about that part of the body than you and I do. And he said, so sometimes when a doctor who knows he's smarter in that field than the patient, and the patient asks some random far out there question, 
it just kind of irks the doctor, and the doctor just dismisses the question as silly and says, well, no, that's not the case. I remember I asked a a question to a doctor one time. I said, well, what is this pill going to do for me? And he said, well, it's just very complicated. And I thought, well, I know it's complicated, but I'll try to engage, you know, mentally with this conversation. And, uh, well, I ended up going to another doctor because I I wanted to have the answer to that question. But he he said, you know what I do, John? He said, another problem that some doctors have, they've never had any counseling. And I couldn't tell if he was talking about, like, where they go to meet with the counselor to say, I need, you know, to the counselor, Mr. Counselor, I'm having problems in my own life. Could you help me? I don't know if he was talking about that kind of counseling or if he was talking about, like, going to a workshop to learn how to counsel patients. I think he was talking about both. He said, if a person has never had counseling themselves, they don't know how to counsel others very well. They read something in a book, but they not really had it up close. He said, John, in my practice, I try to use a strategy called reflective listening reflective listening and I said and I'm just thinking this is the greatest doctor's appointment I've ever had in my life because I'm getting like free psychiatric help right here I mean it's like therapy for me and I said uh what is reflective listening and he said well when when he said most a lot of doctors they don't do this they just dismiss things and that's patient will say well he's a smart good doctor but he doesn't have very good bedside manners he said what they mean by that is they don't listen to me He said, John, if a patient comes into my office and says to me, Doctor, I noticed when I was coming in today that the sky is purple. He said, I would say, he said, most doctors would say in response to that, the sky's not purple, the sky's blue. The sky's never been purple. You need to go see your optometrist. There's something wrong with your eyes. He said, if a doctor said, if a patient said to me, Doctor, I noticed this morning that the sky is purple. He said, I would say to to the patient, I hear you saying, that the sky is purple. And he said, you know, I can understand how you would feel that way. I said, well, doctor, would you ever tell the patient that the sky was blue? He said, well, if it was a medical situation and they needed to know the truth, I would tell them the truth. But if they're talking about the color of the sky, which really doesn't amount to anything, he said, as far as I would go with the patient would be to say, I hear you saying that the sky is purple. I understand how you feel that way. Sometimes the sky seems purple to me. But would you mind if I shared with you why I believe the sky is blue? And he said, if the patient says, well, no, I don't mind. I'd like to hear that. Then I would, re- I would say, well, let me explain. But what he's saying is, he's, even if somebody says something out in left field, and you're thinking, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. We are wise, and I even think Christ-like, to practice what this doctor is saying, to listen and reflect back what they have said, instead of always trying to correct each other when we're wrong. Does that make sense? And so, with other people, I think we would be wiser, instead of, if they say something out in left field, instead of saying, well, you're just wrong, and you're crazy, and that doesn't make any sense. It would be better to say, I hear what you're saying. I understand how you feel that way. Just like we have to accept our own imperfections, we have to accept theirs. You still with me? Say amen. Now I've got one minute for the last point. (laughs) Circumstances that are beyond our control. Acceptance, that's the key word. What is the key word for today? Acceptance, acceptance. The title of the message was frustration. The key word, the solution, acceptance. So you go back to work today and somebody says, hey, what did they talk about down there at the church today? Oh, the man talked about frustration. I can identify with that. I'm frustrated a lot. Did he tell you how to solve it? Yeah, yeah. He told us in one word how to get over being frustrated. How did he say do it? What's the word? Acceptance. Okay, now, the serenity prayer. We've all heard it. We probably grew up with it. 
if you memorize this prayer and put it in effect in your life, it would be the greatest thing you could ever do. The serenity prayer says, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, I think we can say it out loud and much more passionately than that and with much more oomph than that. So let's try it. Ready? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God, this is our prayer. Bring us from being frustrated to being peaceful and calm by accepting those things in us, in others, and in our circumstances that we cannot change. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you would like more information on how you can have peace with God, go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and click on the Spiritual Growth tab. If you've received God's peace today by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for listening today, and we pray that you have a blessed week.